Good evening, youth. Um, as somebody said already, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. My wife asked me today, why do you love me? And she puzzled me. <laughs> and I had to be honest with her. <laughs> Can't lie. And I, You know what I told her? Because you love me. <laughs> um, that's the reality. I don't know how my love would translate or how would I love her if she would not love me. I can't even you know, think of that, right? It's so easy to love a person that loves you, right? Is it easy to love a person that hates you? Doesn't like you? Or, you know, we can use our imagination um, in that. But it is easy to love somebody who loves us. And the, the topic for this sermon today is going to be perfect love. A perfect love. <clears throat> and there's a whole book on love um, in the Bible. Do you know which book that is? Yes, of course you know. That's First John, right? John is the big... Um, is the big uh, communicator, the big uh, person on love. He was one of the best friends of Jesus. Um, he loved Jesus. And he um, wrote a whole book on love. He had a big heart. John the Apostle had a big heart. And he wrote a book where uh, we often quote that book and we say, um, God is love, right? That's what John said, God is love. That's in his book. That's what we reference to when we reference um, love. And so let's talk about love. You know, I'm walking the streets and I see this sign on the streets. Um, it's, it's a multi-band, different colors sign, typically posted somewhere in someone's front yard. You guys seen those? And it says, um, we believe uh, science is real, women's rights are human rights, black lives matter, no person is illegal, love is love, diversity makes us stronger. You know, very, no, we know those statements, right? Um, most of us are not going to disagree with those statements. But love is love. Let's just focus on that one. Love is love. It's like saying, um, you know, light is light and saying that, um, you know, max is max. You're basically not saying anything. <laughs> if you're not defining what love is, you're not saying anything. Love is love doesn't mean anything unless you put it in a proper context, right? what love means to you, what love means to you, to me. How do you receive love is different how I receive love. What your love language is, um, is different from my love language. And that's why it's important before you get married, you go to the fivelovelanguages.com and you take a quiz and you find out of your, your love language, your wife's love language, you know, because it is important if you want to build a relationship because you have to know what other person how the other person receives love 
how they would like to be treated, right? If I'm going to keep giving gifts to somebody, they're like, Dennis, I don't get it. It's this, this, you know, just, just do something for me. This is my wife, you know. She doesn't care much for words. Her love language is acts of service. I can be sitting there and telling her how I love her, but unless I get up and go wash the dishes, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do anything to her. Not much, let's just say that. Um, so what is love? What is perfect love? What is the love that is perfect or genuine, real love, complete love? This is what we were going to be talking today about uh, in the, in the short uh, period of time that we have. Um, it is written, the passage that we will be focusing on is in John, 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 17 and 18. 1 John 17 and 18, those of you who have Bibles and take notes, um, 1 John 17 and 18. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Basically what John is saying here is that by this we may have confidence in the day of judgment, in the last day. That in this world we do things, we live our life exactly the way Jesus lived. And this is our confidence. We are confident in the last day, in the day of judgment. And he continues and says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Do you guys think there is fear today in the world? You think so? Is there anxiety? There is. I think there is plenty of anxiety. I get anxious um, from some of the emails that I receive. Um, there's a lot of negativity. I don't watch news, you know, cable TV news, but I still get a lot of plenty of news and, and information, probably more than I need uh, through my email. Um, if you have social media, that's a nonstop source. And just in general, there's a lot of negative um, information floating around. And if we're exposed to it, we automatically start becoming anxious, start becoming, having worries and things like that. You know, um, just recently in Seattle, um, you probably uh, heard about this, and famously the Seattle mayor says that that the, the CHAZ, this area, uh, uh, the zone where, where the police were not allowed, um, autonomous zone was a big block party, and that um, there's going to be a lot of love in Seattle this summer. Did you guys hear that? Did you hear this phrase? That? A lot of love in Seattle this summer. And basically what she was referring to is that a lot of love, back in 60s and 70s, there was a, uh, we call it a sexual revolution, one way to call it. 
And what, what happened then was that the people rebelled against the norms of the society, the norms that were normal. They protested the, the war in Vietnam at the time that was going on. And uh, one of the famous American counterculture slogans was make love and not war. I'm sure you all heard that. Make love and not war. And so people went on. They made love. Young people created uh, communas. They created little islands, you know, perfect islands where they could have a lot of love. Um, in those places, in those islands, there was also, of course, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of uh, people, most of the people were not married. Um, and um, out of that came, of course, a lot of children out of wedlock, um, abortions spiked up. Um, there were other consequences of those um, love buds. And that revolution led uh, to a whole shift in the culture. People rebelled against the normal family unit, a father and a mother, marriage, children. And uh, they said that um, we don't need that. Love is love. Love is all you need, right? And that sounds so good. That sounds so good. Love should be, you know, the number one thing that you should be caring for. Love is the focus. You should love everyone. You should not care about anything and anyone else. The rules should not stop you from loving anyone. And it all sounds good unless, until you put it to the test. And in the book of John, John gives us at least four tests. How to test love. And how to test real love. And I challenge you, encourage you to, to get into that book and to read and find those tests that, that, that John gives us. He says, if you want to talk about genuine love, test it this way. This is what genuine love looks like. He gives us test number one. And he says, the one, uh, the one who says, uh, but he who keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Test number one. He says that the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you say that you love God, you're going to walk the same way as he walked here. Test number one. Chick, you know, pass or fail. <laughs> Do I walk like he walked here on earth? And we'll talk about, let's talk about real love. Because on the contrary, from real love, there's lust. And lust is a very strong sexual desire that has nothing to do with love that John is describing in his book. And people often confuse that with love. And the love that we see today that being, that's being advertised in the movies everywhere around us is not actually, has nothing to do with love. It's lust. It's, it's, it's lust. It's, it's the very, that strong sexual desire that is being advertised. There is no love at all. You know, it's funny, but um, Greeks were more, more uh, I don't know if you can say smarter, but they were more particular. They were um, digging deeper, and they actually... Uh, separated love into four different types of love. 
And they said, this is this kind of love, this kind of love, this kind of love, this kind of love. And we say, you know, I love my car, I love Chick-fil-A, and I love my mom. What do you mean <laughs> by you love all those things? Do you love them the same way? Um, well, no. You can't love your car the same way you love your mom, right? And you can't love your wife the same love, uh, with the same love you love food. That's just impossible. But... Uh, in the American English, there's only one word. We use the word love. The love that John is talking about in his epistle is, um, in his book, in his letter to this church, he is talking about unconditional love, the love of God. The love that is above all other loves. The love that is above the love uh, of a friend to a friend, above the love that I have for my wife, it is the love that is unconditional. And uh, we just read, brother read to us today, what love truly is. First Corinthians describes it. And the first thing that it describes, it says the love is what? Can you say louder? Patient. Somebody reads their Bible. Yes, thank you. Love is patient. And that's not what... Lust is. That's not what, when a person lusts after something, that's totally opposite from what they want to do. They want, to, they want that thing here and now. They want it primed, delivered to the door because they have this great desire for something. In a relationship, they're not willing to wait until marriage. They want everything today and right now. That's not love. Run from that kind of love. If the person is not willing to wait for you, he doesn't love you. That's the reality. He lasts after your body, after what you have, but not after your soul. He doesn't love your soul. Uh, and we need to run from that kind of love. That's not a genuine love. Love, first of all, is patient. John describes the kind of love that God loved us with. The kind of love that did not expect anything back. God did not come to us, to me, and says, Dennis, if you can provide this, this, and that, I'm going to love you. You know what God did? John writes that in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God took his own son and he said, I'm going to give this to you so you can do everything that you will do to him so that he will die on the cross for your sin, that he may pay your price, the price that you had to pay, Dennis, that you had to pay with your life. Jesus is going to do that. This is how I'm going to show to you that I love you. When I heard that, when you heard that, there's no other arguments. There's no other arguments can be presented. You know, the most beautiful thing that one, a person can do, two weeks ago we had a prayer here. A lot of you came out. I don't know, there's a lot of people. That's, I think that's one of the best moments in, in, in life when you see 
that people give their life to Jesus Christ. When people realize the love of God, what God has done for me, and that I can do, I cannot not to surrender to him. And that's beautiful. That's something that the heaven is rejoicing over. This is where this ministry exists, so that people may be saved, so that people may come to Christ, so that people may grow in the love of Christ, so that the love that was placed into my and your heart may be perfected, may be made perfect and genuine, that we may share that love with other people. And what love produces? Love produces confidence. Love produces confidence. Stress and anxiety and fear are complete opposite of confidence. But um, John says that the perfect love, genuine love, complete love, casts out fear. Ask yourself, do I have fear in my life? Do I have anxiety in my life? In my life? Um, fear of the future, fear to stay single all my life, fear to lose salvation, fear of death, fear of punishment, just to name a few. You know, if we have fear um, in our life, uh, we are not complete in love. We are not perfect in love. And what fear does John says that it involves punishment. What fear does, it actually cripples a Christian where you can't be effective for the kingdom of God. And that's the best tool that the enemy likes to use. He likes to rule with, with fear. If you fear, if you have fear in your life, fear for your salvation, fear of death, fear of other things, you are not effective for the kingdom. You cannot be. More than that, um, Apostle Paul says that, um, or Jesus warned the disciples that in the last time, man will be fainting from fear. When he says man, he means woman too. <laughs> and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. Do you see that around us today? People are fainting from fear. What to expect next? What other virus, what other problem, what other thing are going to happen? Is going to happen to our country, to our state, to our world that will you know, break the economy, bring down the schools and whatnot. And that's not what God desires for his children. That's not what God desires for his children. God desires for his children is, he desires confidence. He desires for us to be confident in what? In his love. What is his love translated into? In him giving his son to us. Romans 8 says, if God did not spare his son, will he hold back anything for us? Is he not going to give us everything that he has if he did not spare his only 
Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul also says that, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You see, he's calling this a spirit of slavery. A spirit of slavery is leading to fear again. The fear that you were living in before you came to Christ, the spirit of slavery is leading you again into fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption, a sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. This is amazing. This is amazing. He says that you have received a spirit of adoption. You were an orphan, but now you are adopted by God himself. Now you are in the household of the saints. You have the rights to the gifts, to the power, to the knowledge and and riches that God has. More than that, you can come into God's presence and not call him only Lord, God, Creator. You can call him Abba, Father. You know, Abba word is a Hebrew word that a little child uses for his father. Papachka. It's a very rare word that would be used by a child to a father. And the Apostle Paul chooses to use that word. He says, we have a spirit of adoption as sons by which we call our father Abba. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful that you can call a God of universe your father? I think that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Nobody, no religion can claim that. None of the religions allow even that thought to be that close to God, to have that same relationship. You know, spirit of slavery leads to fear, like we said, uh, but the spirit of adoption is leading to confidence. We're becoming confident in who we are so that we can go and live this life out as he did. And John moves on and he says that we can overcome the world and the worldly love. The love is love statement. And the love that the world is presenting. And what is in the world? What is the world presenting? Well, John says in chapter 2 that uh, do not love the world and the things of the world. Uh, because anything that is in the world or everything that's in the world, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but is from the world. That's what really is in the world. The advertisement, the nice gift wrapping, around the love, around the things that the world is producing and offering, they're fake. They can't provide what they promise. They cannot provide what they promise. In a beautiful story described by John Bunyan, uh, or Banyan, um, he wrote a beautiful story when he was in prison. It's called The Pilgrim Progress. Did you guys read it? You read it, okay. One, two few people. There's a movie that recently came out. Um, 
very graphically they put it together. Um, but there's a point when the pilgrim is going through all these hardships, and it's, it's really tough. And then he comes to the city of vanity. And in this city of vanity, he comes with his friend, also a Christian. And um, they go through the city. The city is all in colors and sparkles. There's party. There's excitement. There's everything you would imagine. And they go through the city. They try to get through. And they uh, pause somewhere in the middle or they're stopped. I don't remember the details, but um, they're being asked why they're not participating why they're not excited about everything that the city has to offer. And their reply is, you don't have what we need. And they were puzzled. The city stopped. What do you mean we don't have something to offer to you? And they try them, they ask them, and the two things that they don't have is, um, one of the things that they don't have is love. And peace, love and peace. And they go around, they ask people, they asked the administration of the city. They're like, no, we don't have those things. <laughs> we can't offer those. We can offer you excitement. We can offer you everything in the city. We cannot offer you love or peace. Those things don't exist in the city. And this is the, this is the exact reason why those two guys get punished. Because they claim to offer something that the city cannot provide. You know, when I heard this story again, um, it made me realize that this is the culture that we live in. It can provide you with everything except for unconditional love and the peace that only belongs to Christ because he is the prince of peace. The city cannot provide that. The culture cannot provide that. Despite everything that it provides, those two things are very rare commodity. And this is exactly why those two Christians get punished or get persecuted because they claim to offer something that everybody else doesn't have. And here's John claiming that we are able to overcome this world by what? By what are we able to overcome this world? Give me, give me, give me something. What does the Bible says? What does chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says? It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that we, that has, and this and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Wow. It is your faith. It is my faith in Jesus Christ. By our faith, we overcome the temptations of this world because we believe in the eternal we believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that provides peace and love, that provides abundance 
of satisfaction. Jesus is all we need. He is everything we will ever need. And John is saying to the believers that Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ gives you the strength to overcome the world. You know, the sister was, Joe uh, jo was sharing his testimony um, and the sister was beautifully sharing her testimony and encouragement. You know, that God gives strength to overcome. That God is the provider. God is the one who is waiting for you. He is there to help you in the way to the challenges of life. Even if you accepted Christ, if you came to Christ and you've accepted him as your Savior, this is just the beginning of the way. We'll learn to walk with him. We'll learn who God is. And it is our faith in him that gives us strength to overcome everything that the culture has to offer. The whole purpose of the letter um, of First John, he is writing to the believers and he says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He sits down, he writes five chapters. He describes the love of God for the main reason, to encourage the believers that they have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And this is the reason for my message today as well, my friends, is to encourage you that fear, perfect love, genuine love, complete love in God casts out any kind of fear. Test yourself. Ask yourself, do I have fear in my life? Which area, in which area do I have fear? And ask God to cast out that fear with the confidence that Jesus Christ is on the throne. He secured your salvation. He is the one who is leading you along the way. And nothing that happens to you will be out of his control. Amen? Amen. Amen. So application in the next five minutes. Source of our faith. Where do we get? How do we build up our faith? How do we get ready for the tough times? What do you do? Do you buy more gold? Invest stocks? Um, what do you do to get ready for the tough times? The knowledge of God and the knowledge, and we know him through his word. It is the knowledge of God that gives us, that builds up our faith. Do you know your God? Do, you, do I know the God that I'm serving? Have I developed, have I been working on the relationships with him? You know, my wife shared beautiful, uh, I thought it was a beautiful story. Just very simple, you know, very simple. She's, she went to this, um, she went to this babe, uh, baby shower, sorry. And there were other women um, and they were talking. They're all from our community. They're all Christians. They were talking a lot of, about a lot of things. And she said, I was sitting there and I was lonely. I could not relate to them. 
And one comforting thought was that God knows me and that he is working in my life because I I have seen him lead me in the past weeks, in the past months, in the past year. You know, she was crying when she was telling me that. And I, I thought about that. What other confidence do you need? What other acceptance among your peers do you need? If you know that God knows you, he is leading you personally. He's been answering your prayers. He's been working with you personally. You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care how popular you are or not popular. If God is working with you directly, if God is the one who's leading you, that's the best confidence you can have. That's the best approval you can get because you can be confident that you will walk much farther than anybody else and that everyone else because he is leading you. Amen? Amen. Amen. The source of our, the source of our faith is the knowledge of God, is the knowledge of his word. We know him through his word. And uh, we know him because we spend time with him in our um, private room. Brothers and sisters, I would challenge you in your personal growth. If you came out here two weeks ago and you gave your life to Christ, the next step, the very first step that you can and should make is to grow in Christ. And like any newborn believer, you need a lot of food. You need a lot of milk. You need a lot of scripture. I challenge you to start reading the scripture consistently. Read it at least three times a week, 15 minutes a day, at least three times a week. Better start a plan, a daily plan that you can read a few chapters a day. And also, pray 15 minutes. Spend 15 minutes in Scripture and 15 minutes in prayer. Just put up your timer. Just turn on your timer for 15 minutes and try to stand on your knees for 15 minutes and talk to God. And you will see a change in your life. You will see a change in your life three times a week, half an hour a day. It's not that hard. It is the ability to find the time, to spend that time with God. And he will open up to you even more. And so if God has showed us such a great love, if God has showed, showed us a perfect, genuine, complete love, if we live in his love, we're just lavished with his love. He just poured his love on us. And we're, you know, in a total heaven. Um, Or if not, if we're just learning God's love and we're trusting him every day, uh, we need to pass on that love. We need to love other people. That's what John is stressing in his letter to the believers. He said, if you claim to love God, um, if you claim to love God, then you ought to love one another. If God loved you, 
Um, I'm trying to find the passage. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now let me ask you, how do you love other people? Practically, how did you love somebody today? Maybe you wrote a note today to someone. I received a letter today in the mail, and someone said, Dear neighbor, I thought it would be nice to get in touch with you during these tough times and remind you of the scripture. And there was a scripture. And there was a message of peace. And I thought, wow, somebody took time, somebody took effort, paid their money to put a stamp mark and mail it to all the neighbors. How can you practically serve your neighbor? In the place where you work, how you can practically in the morning so serve your neighbors, serve people you work with. Maybe you, you can buy coffee and share something while they enjoy the coffee because they kind of have to listen, right? Uh, or donuts. Or, 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 or maybe you can, uh, you're good at something. Maybe you can bake well. Maybe you can bake something for someone. Maybe you can give somebody a call. Maybe you're good at, at, at doing other things and you can intentionally serve somebody and extend that love of God to that person. Because what God says, what, what he says, that we have confidence. John says we have confidence. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. When we serve other people, when we share the love, it builds up our confidence. Amen? Amen. God is good all the time, and, and God is good all the time. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's uh, pray with a quick prayer um, and ask God to lead us um, in this life and this path. Everyone's life is different. Everyone's life is, is complicated to a certain degree, right? We all have our paths. We all have our dreams. We all have our, our ways, our struggles, our challenges in life. We all come from different families. And um, isn't that a comforting thought? That the creator of the universe knows your and my circumstances. He knows the exact solution. Maybe the solution is not exactly what you think it is, but he knows the exact solution that will serve you best and will bring you to the glorious gates of eternal life with him. Amen.